Welcome back to the Point Fight Podcast. This is episode number four, where we will be discussing whether or not Bitcoin will replace banks. In the first three episodes, I discussed my point of view on Bitcoin and whether or not I believe Bitcoin is money, whether or not Bitcoin is a good investment, but there is still quite a bit left to discuss. So please stay tuned for today's episode. My name is Sharif Ali. Join me online at pointbyte.com to continue the conversation. So we're going to continue the tradition of opening every podcast with a little bit of a rant before we get into the details. And today's rant is really going to be about recognizing that the current financial system, the current monetary system, even though it's not perfect, and I don't think anybody would argue that it is, it was not created overnight. It was not created in a vacuum. We arrived at this point with the regulations and the checks and balances and the constraints that we have today for a reason. I mean, all of these things were added into the market to address specific problems. Everybody has heard the saying that if we don't understand history, we're doomed to repeat it. Or perhaps one that's more accurate, that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. The reality is, if we don't spend any time trying to understand these problems, if we just assume that, oh, those were problems of a different era, that was a system designed by economists, and this is a system designed by engineers, and clearly engineers are smarter than economists, therefore, we can just casually dismiss the last 200 years of economic theory. We are opening ourselves up to creating technologies that have blind spots that could have been identified and could have been resolved simply by paying attention to people who have been studying this for many, many, many generations. Probably the most obvious example of this is the hard cap of 21 million Bitcoins. This is often celebrated as the reason Bitcoin is an excellent store of value. It can never be debased by people of means, people in power who with fiat today can simply create more money and spend it into existence. The irony is that the very same people who advocate for supply constraints with Bitcoin mock gold. And of course, you know, gold was used as money for many reasons, but one of the primary reasons was because just like Bitcoin, it was supply constrained and could not be manufactured by governments. For thousands of years, alchemists tried to create gold, but they never succeeded. The supply was fairly stable and predictable. And that is the reason why it succeeded for thousands of years. And it's also the reason why we no longer use it as money today. We have had deflationary currencies like gold in the past, and they didn't end well. Society replaced gold as money for a reason. The reason was not as people often claim, oh, it was just too difficult to carry around in your pocket or whatever. People had banknotes that represented stores of gold managed by banks and other entities and would simply trade those notes and not the gold itself. So that was a problem that had been solved. The issue with gold is that during periods of economic depression, there is no way to spend your way out of it. You just have to suffer. And that was no longer a situation that people were willing to tolerate. And so the, the practical 
implication on the Bitcoin universe is it's extremely unlikely that any country would subject themselves to these known limitations on purpose. Um, we, we know that these types of currencies don't end well. We've seen it happen over and over and over again throughout history. And conversely, the number of countries that suffer from a hyperinflation or the abuse of fiat currency by governments is actually quite small. It happens, but it's not the largest issue facing any modern developed country today. So it's not the best argument you can make if you want to create such a seismic, cataclysmic, enormous change to the way in which a financial system works. You're, you're really replacing something that isn't that broken with something that's unproven. So that's a very strange argument to lead with. And I think part of the reason why, although we still call Bitcoin a cryptocurrency, people have sort of abandoned that concept. And now it's really more of a, a crypto savings. So the argument today is really less about replacing the stores of dollars in banks and more about replacing the stores of gold in vaults. And that is an equally difficult argument to make because with all of its faults, the reality is that gold has intrinsic value. It is an element. It has properties that make it useful in industry, that make it aesthetically beautiful, that people have used for jewelry uh, for thousands of years. There's no reason to believe any of those things are going to change. And if the only argument that you have in favor of Bitcoin is, well, you know, it's a slightly easier to use gold, I, I, I don't find that compelling. Well, let's just put 1% of our assets into this uh, savings mechanism that is uncorrelated to the rest of the economy just in case some major cataclysmic event occurs. If that cataclysmic event occurred, I would rather have gold. I mean, wouldn't you rather have something that you could put in your hand, put in your pocket and flee? And, you know, people complain about gold being heavy, but it would really only take a few ounces of gold to feed your family for a year. If you are fleeing some you know, terrible cataclysmic event where the financial system has imploded and the government is gone, but you still have Wi-Fi, but, you know, the cell phone networks are still up and running, the banks are gone, but you can still pay your cell phone bill. You know, how does that work exactly? How are you going to take all of your money on a phone and flee without power? So it's not going to replace dollars for bank deposits because it isn't really a currency and nobody uses it as a currency. It really isn't going to replace gold as insurance against major cataclysmic disasters and catastrophes within, um, within your country. So what exactly are you saving your bitcoins for what exactly gives you confidence that just like people can pass gold down between generations you will be able to pass bitcoin down between generations as well there won't be a better cryptocurrency there won't be uh, a new trend that replaces cryptocurrencies altogether or there might be some change in our ability to keep the blockchain secure. But anyhow, that, that's my rant. I know that was a very long rant. I feel there will probably be a second rant near the end of this episode, but I do have some specific topics I wanted to cover. So let's, let's first start with the cost of 
transferring money across borders because that is the only legitimate use case that I've heard so far for Bitcoin. Let's consider the case of a teenager in Mexico who is unbanked, which means he has no bank account, he has no debit card, he has no credit card, but he would like to pay $10 to acquire a video game from a U.S. vendor. He has no mechanism or means of transferring that $10 from Mexico to the United States. And that certainly does appear to be a use case where Bitcoin is superior to the traditional financial system. But two things come to mind. Number one is how big is that market? Uh, remember, the second criteria for reversing my opinion is the use case that Bitcoin replaces must be significant. It must be significant enough to justify all the investment in Bitcoin, the entire ecosystem. And the second point is, let's assume that it is a significant market. Let's imagine that the banking system does actually lose billions of dollars every year in potential financial services fees because Bitcoin is replacing such a large percentage of their market share. Let me tell a quick story. Do you remember the days when we used to pay for text messages? Do you remember when we used to pay for long distance phone calls? What happened? One day, unlimited data arrived. There was competition for those text messages and for that long distance voice uh, phone call. And all of a sudden, those charges went away. It wasn't a constraint imposed by technology that caused these companies to charge these fees. It was a constraint caused by legacy thinking and a residue of a time in which there was a justification for those fees and a willingness of people to pay those fees. If we consider the fact that crossing a border magically causes all of these fees, which we thought we had eliminated to resurface, it also calls into question how much of those fees are the result of government policy and regulations. I see competition from Bitcoin to be very similar. If one day Bitcoin actually became a great way to send money across borders, competition from the banks will quickly render it obsolete as these fees disappear because those fees are not caused by technical constraints imposed on the banks. They are not charging these fees because their costs are high. They're charging these fees because they can get away with it. They're charging these fees because people are used to paying these fees and they're willing to continue paying these fees. If that calculus changes, so will the fees. And we also need to spend some time discussing the implications of government regulatory policy. It is quite likely that a portion of those financial transaction fees are related to costs imposed upon them by the government, by reporting requirements or otherwise. And so one of two things can happen. Either the government will change those regulations and remove those costs and equalize the playing field, or they're going to impose those regulations on Bitcoin exchanges, increasing the cost of Bitcoin. And of course, these regulations exist for a reason. Do we want to live in a world where we have no ability to track terrorists or human traffickers or drug smugglers or tax evaders? Now let's talk decentralization. This, this one is actually 
pretty funny because this was the primary rallying cry behind all blockchain technologies when they were new. Uh, we want to own our own money and have it in our own possession. And then what happened? The internet was filled with stories of people who lost their Bitcoin. And what people ended up doing is taking their Bitcoin and storing them in third-party centralized wallets and exchanges. What's the difference between that and a bank? We talk about Bitcoin replacing banks, but all that we've really done is created a new institution that is a bank and called it something else. And these new institutions are, in my opinion, more vulnerable than traditional banks because if something happens to your traditional bank, you have insurance. If something happens to your Bitcoin wallet or your Bitcoin exchange, you get nothing. Of course, the community is working on decentralized exchanges and decentralized wallets, and uh, we'll see if that becomes the dominant way of storing your Bitcoin. It, it certainly doesn't appear to be the case today. Next, let's talk anonymity. People might remember the first time Bitcoin entered the public consciousness was probably around the time the people who were running the Silk Road, which was a company selling drugs and all kinds of illegal uh, things on the dark web, they were arrested and that site was shut down. But it really tarnished Bitcoin's reputation for a long period of time. And even until today, it is still very much associated with you know, criminal activity, probably unfairly in my opinion. But the point is, Bitcoin earned a reputation for being anonymous. And that reputation is really undeserved because it is not anonymous. It is considered pseudo-anonymous. Your name does not appear in the ledger when there's a transaction, but there is a unique key that's associated only with your wallet. And there are ways to associate people with their key. And if you have that key and you have access to the full Bitcoin ledger, which is anyone who has a full node, you can track every single transaction that individual has made uh, forever. And so this really is the opposite of anonymity. It's in fact much worse than the traditional financial system because at least in the traditional financial system, that type of monitoring activity can really only be done by the government through legal channels. But with a fully public ledger, like with Bitcoin, anybody, it's open season. Your ex, your boss, your neighbor, uh, family, everybody can track every financial transaction that you make. So this is the opposite of anonymous. It's a tax collector's dream. There is a reason small businesses sometimes insist on being paid in cash and uh, they will not like this as an alternative. So what's the conclusion here? Bitcoin is not going to replace banks. It really is just recreating the bank in a different name. Bitcoin really does not have a long-term advantage over banks when it comes to international transactions. Bitcoin doesn't really have any advantage over dollars for currency or gold for uh, insurance against you know, catastrophe. What is left? And I did spend some time trying to get an answer to that question. And the best that I could find is that we should consider Bitcoin to be an inflation hedge against irresponsible behavior by central banks around the world, inflating away their currencies. And this hedge is uncorrelated to the rest of the financial market. 
how many times have we heard this story before? This is exactly what people used to say about gold 10 years ago. It's, it's the exact same language. So we're stuck with the age-old question, is it different this time? It's almost never different. Remember, history doesn't repeat. It rhymes. It won't be exactly the same as last time. There's always a little bit of a twist. There has to be a twist. Otherwise, you won't be able to draw in a new cohort of suckers to your scam. But it's the same old game. At the end of the day, Bitcoin is worthless if you can't use it. So we need to focus everyone's attention on how Bitcoin gets consumed. How does Bitcoin create value? How do we use it to do something useful? What is the utility of Bitcoin? And the answer to all of those questions is not in the dollar value that we assign to the Bitcoin, but it's in the services that you spend those Bitcoins to consume. So focus everyone's attention on the services, not on the price. And there might actually be a long-term value for Bitcoin. But as is the way this market is headed, it certainly doesn't appear that way today. And that is episode number four. Thank you for listening all the way through to the end. I know this one was a little bit longer than normal. Uh, please visit pointbike.com to continue the conversation online.